sky turns orange as a huge cloud of dust rolls towards you. Your vision is impaired and your chest feels tight as you struggle to draw breath. You grab a scarf and wrap it around your face as you hurry inside, but the coughing continues long after you reach safety. For those in refugee camps, there is no such escape. Sand is buffeted against flimsy tents as residents and belongings become swiftly covered in a film of white dust. You may think this is happening to a character in an apocalypse movie, but it's becoming a regular occurrence for people all over the globe, especially in the Middle East. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Taylor Heyman, and this week we're looking at the impact of dust storms on the Middle East and what can be done to mitigate them. Before we start, if you want to get the latest from Beyond the Headlines, hit subscribe in your podcast app. In spring, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon and parts of Israel and Egypt will experience the most frequent dust storms. Moving into summer, Iran, Syria and the Gulf will be hit by the flurry of sand and minerals. Many of these countries are sources of the dust as well as impacted nations. The storms even have their own terminology. A huge dust storm is called Haboob. In the UAE, we call them Al-Shamal, in reference to the direction the wind blows in from. More than 2 billion tonnes of dust are emitted into our atmosphere every year. A third of this comes from the Dust Belt, which takes in the Sahara Desert, much of the Middle East and the deserts of Central and North Asia. Iraq is one of those hardest hit, experiencing dust storms in both seasons. It is currently witnessing a deadly spate of dust storms, eight in the last month alone. The National's Baghdad correspondent Sinan Mahmoud recently reported from hospitals in the capital where thousands of people were being treated for respiratory problems linked to a huge dust storm. One person died. Mainly the elderly who, who suffer from the breathing problems, those who are um, in their 70s or 60s. Even I saw some people in their 80s. Some hospitals are overcrowded uh, with the people uh, laying on, their, uh, on the beds with oxygen masks on their faces. So, yes, there's a kind of um, some areas and some hospitals uh, there's a kind of chaos in the, in the emergency uh, departments of these hospitals. Even for a nation used to dust storms at this time of year, Iraqis are reeling from one storm to the next with what feels like little respite. Despite that uh, the storms are common in Iraq, but they are now seeing more dust storms almost weekly. These storms are lasting for days, traveling from one part to another, enveloping major cities cutting visibility, choking off Iraqis, sending, sending thousands of them to hospitals with breathing problems, and forcing the authorities to suspend flights at major airports. But are things really getting worse? Or are we just more aware of weather events with better reporting and extensive coverage on social media? To answer that, we need to get to the core of the issue. What is a dust storm? Sara Basat the lead scientist at the World Meteorological Organization's Barcelona Dust Regional Centre, uses the term sand and dust storms to describe the phenomena we're talking about. A dust storm is a basically a meteorological phenomenon because it's basically a process that starts from the conditions of the land and the soil. I mean, you need the first ingredient that is sand and dust on the soil. And then a second important ingredient is the wind. When we talk about sun and dust storms, it's basically an eolian dust that is emitted from the ground to the atmosphere thanks to the action of the wind, a strong surface wind. And in meteorological terms, it's defined 
its intensity based on the reduction of visibility because it's what the airports are measuring the meteorological reports that they are doing every day for the safety of the aeronautics operations. Dust storms are simply part of the way the planet operates. For time immemorial, sand and dust from arid regions have spread across the world by heavy winds. And it isn't necessarily a bad thing either. NASA research published in 2015 found dust from the Sahara Desert was providing nutrients to the Amazon rainforest and feeding organisms in the Atlantic Ocean. Dust even provides some of the materials for coral reefs to grow. Over eight years, an average of 179 million tonnes of dust left the coast of North Africa annually. 102 million tonnes ended up in the Atlantic and 28 million tonnes in the Amazon rainforest. Researchers from King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia discovered in 2020 that dust originating in the Middle East was having a positive cooling impact on the Red Sea. The team said if it wasn't for this dust, droughts would be more common in the region. But sand and dust storms can also have a negative impact. Sinan says experiencing one can be a distressing experience. You feel like yourself you are buried under the uh, under the dust. The skies turn into uh, orange. Um, and then uh, it's really hard to breathe, even inside your house. The dust can go inside your house through the windows or the through the, uh, the doors. So it's really, uh, it's really hard for everyone, even for the children, to breathe. Dust storms impact air quality. So it isn't a surprise that many nations in the region fall into the category of worst air quality in the world. The WHO estimates an excess 10,000 people die in Iraq, 15,500 in Egypt, and 2,500 in Saudi Arabia every year due to bad air quality, of which dust storms play a large part. Medical experts have found links between chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and higher concentrations of dust particles in the air, and it aggravates conditions like asthma. A dust storm's effect is not just the mess left behind, or medical issues. A 2020 World Bank study found extreme dust storms are costing the MENA region $150 billion per year. That's around 2.5% of the region's GDP. This would be because of a loss of working hours, transport shutdowns, drought, loss of fertile land, and the strain on the health sector. Dust storms can't be helped. Sand and dust will always be picked up from large arid areas like the Sahara Desert and the empty quarter in the UAE, Oman and Saudi Arabia. But storms may be becoming more ferocious and more frequent because of human actions. This is where anthropogenic dust emissions come in. They are particles that are whipped up by wind because of human activity or sparked by man-made climate change. Too much building work, not enough vegetation, land degradation and cutting water sources with dams can all contribute. There are three times the amount of natural sources of dust as anthropogenic dust, but it is on the increase. So does this mean sandstorms are increasing or not? Sarah says a lack of data collected so far makes it difficult to tell. There are some studies that start to emphasize that it seems that there is an increase in some parts. Uh, in fact, in Middle East, there were a, a peak of intensity between 2005 and 2010 in the past decade, but this peak was uh, going down in 2020, then it's not clear if there is a clear tendency because also all records are limited. 
I mean, you have to keep in mind that, for example, the first satellite that is providing aerosol observations was uh, MODIS, and it was starting in 2000. Then our records, in comparison with the meteorological records, are quite uh, short or young. Then to really establish a, a sentence that is, is saying that uh, there is a clear trend, it's hard for all the community to tell you. Then it seems that this year there, there are more events, but there is no clear trend for future. But of course, everything that happens with climate change and the, the impact in the process of the desertification, this can be maximizing the conditions for these highest uh, activities in future. But it's not clear, again, if there is a clear trend at the moment. Part of the Barcelona Dust Centre and its partners' efforts are to gather the data to try and forecast incoming storms and increase the chances of spotting trends. UN scientists say they expect to see the number of dust storms in Iraq more than double in the next decade. Around 300 storms a year compared to 122 registered in 2013. We aren't yet sure what that would mean for the planet as until very recently, it wasn't possible to track dust movements and their contents on a global basis. But a new project, along with other advances in science and funding for sand and dust storm projects, is hoping to help model future dust storm risks. This, in turn, will help governments plan mitigation measures and early warning systems. Robert Green is the principal investigator for NASA's Earth Surface Mineral Dust Source Investigation Mission, called EMIT for short. He is leading a project to map dust movement around the globe from the International Space Station using an advanced imaging spectrometer. This piece of kit, built by a team of NASA scientists, will be hitched onto a SpaceX rocket in June and blasted to the ISS, where it will begin taking around 1 billion measurements of dust movements around the world in one year. The map it creates will be the first comprehensive global measurements of dust on our planet and will improve existing computer modelling to help scientists look at how climate change and desertification will impact the planet. Our job is to understand the composition of the materials that end up in the dust storms first, which is currently poorly known, and that can impact human health. It can also impact how the local regions are heated and cooled. If a local dust storm is full of dark dust, that can actually heat the local area and make things potentially worse. If the local dust is very bright, clays and carbonates, it might cool, ironically, that local region. So those that's the sort of information we can give for the advanced models and the next generation of predictions coming from the UN and elsewhere. That's one thing that we'll be doing. We're also looking at the, the regions adjacent to the current dust sources and determining the mineralogy by looking in, uh, in between the vegetation. So we could say some predictions, if this area desertified and dust became a new dust source, what kind of new dust would be in those storms of the future? The mapping emit will produce can be used in the region to plan mitigation against dust storms and to understand more about their impact locally. We don't understand exactly what the composition is of the dust that's leaving the surface of the earth very well. It's not that well sampled because it's hard to get to these places but certainly the Middle East and North Africa in particular are big dust source regions and somewhat poorly sampled in terms of the composition, what types of minerals are there. So 
we will be producing detailed mineral maps of the surface dust composition in the Middle East. And this could be used locally to make some assumptions about what type of dust is in the storms and how that might interact with people. And we will be making those data available beginning within two months of when we make our first observations as we check the quality of the data. And they'll be available at something called the um, Land Processes Data Archive, free to everyone in the world. So NASA has an open science policy, so everyone in the world will have access to our new mineral maps. And we will use them for our science objectives, but people could use them for other objectives, including locally in the Middle East. The UN has called for regional action on drought and dust and equipped with ever more accurate data, nations in the Middle East should be able to put into place long-term planning to save the lives and livelihoods of their people. Working together and sharing data like that of the EMIT programme is exactly what Sarah is working to achieve. In your daily life, if you are living in Saudi Arabia, you know that there is problems when there is a strong sun and dust storm in transport, in energy, in health, also in, in your daily life, because if there is a strong event, everything is stopped, right? Then uh, we are trying to give some tools to mitigate these bad impacts of the San Andreas storms to society. And it's a coordinated effort. There are other centers in Asia and Americas, and we are trying to connect all the different parts of the world and to try to join efforts. You keep in mind the San Andreas storms doesn't know anything about borders. Then it is spread around the world. And then it's very important that we have capacity at regional scale to really connect us for solving these hazards and to try to, to be adapted and to try to mitigate their impacts. So what can governments do to support their people and help to mitigate the impact of dust storms? They can plant more vegetation in the right places to stabilise soil and act as a barrier to catch floating dust before the wind picks it up. They can also control where and what type of construction is allowed, both to protect residents from dust ingress and prevent desertification. These can help reduce anthropogenic dust from forming. In the meantime, better measurements and forecasting can help governments issue advance warning to citizens to wear masks or avoid going outside and make transport plans. We cannot stop San Andreas storms. There are deserts as, as Sahara that you cannot stop the emission of dust from this huge desert. I mean, it's there from centuries, you know. And also in Middle East, you have your big desert in the middle of Saudi Arabia, and this is a, a natural desert. You cannot put more trees or do anything to, to really prevent the dust emission in these big deserts. There are some areas that are this more sensible parts, more border parts of the deserts where desertification due to the human intervention can be somehow stopped with some strategies like the green belt in China. But the concern is that there is a part that we can do. I mean, we can try to stop that the deserts will grow more than they are. But there is another part that the deserts are there and will be there and they are there science centuries and you cannot remove deserts from the map. Then the only tool that we have for mitigating uh, the risk is the prevention and forecasts are tools that are really going in that direction. I mean, if you know in advance that there will be this huge sun and dust storm, you can do things before the dust storm arrives, right? 
it is important that the people knows that there are some tools that can help them to mitigate really the risk that represents a sun and desert storm. As Iraq's government fails to act, Iraqi civil society is stepping in. The government and its agencies are not doing uh, anything or putting uh, serious, let's say, uh, short or long-term plans to tackle the issue or to contain its impact. Uh, Given the ongoing political wrangling uh, to form a government six months now uh, since the national elections, and this delay has prevented the parliament from approving this year's budget. So there are meetings, there are statements, but no actions. There was a plan back in 2006 uh, to plant tens of thousands of trees to form um, a crescent-shaped green belt that runs from Basra in the south to Mosul in the north uh, to mainly protect the major cities from the dust storms coming from uh, the western uh, desert of Iraq. But only a small fraction of this belt has been done, uh, with officials blaming lack of funds, and even uh, most of the trees that have been planted uh, are dying due to the absence of regular irrigation. So this situation has left Iraqis with no more options only to continue their life in this situation. They sleep in the night with sandstorm lashing their cities and wake up in the morning to clean their houses. And the next day or a few days later, they get hit by another storm. But there is something interesting, which is some Iraqis have started to take matters into their own hands and uh, started uh, planting trees in some areas to restore the lost vegetation cover. And there are still some small and modest initiatives here and there from some non-governmental organizations and normal people to plant trees in public areas, gardens, government buildings, and streets. Actually, when one of the shining examples is what the leading NGO and local authorities did in Mosul, the city in northern Iraq that endured ISIS reign and devastating war. They have planted more than 30,000 trees since early last year, and they are planning to plant more trees in the coming months. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Taylor Heyman. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button in your favourite podcast app. Thanks this week to Sarah Basat, Robert Green and Sinan Mahmood. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan.